Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Well, hey, before we move on, man, one, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. That was a long sip of water. I know, I was going to say Aqua Hydrate. Is that, that's, is that Diddy's company? That's Mark Wahlberg's company. Oh, no way. I show yeah, my yeah. stuff. Yes. So is, is Municipal littered with Aqua Hydrate bottles? Well, we are socially responsible. So I would say that we have the giant ones. This one, I re, this one I refill out of the giant bottle just because the, the giant bottle is like literally like five gallons. So that, that'd be obnoxious to drink like a five gallon bottle. So this is my, uh, my single service, my single serving. Must, you must stay hydrated with aqua hydrate. I agree. Now, before we move on, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anyone listening? Is anyone listening? Is that what you're asking? Is anyone listening? We just have to assume they are. Harry Arnett, I'm the CEO of Municipal, and we've been around for about seven months. We are, in fact, a startup, and we mentioned Mark Wahlberg earlier. He's one of the co-founders with me and Stephen Levinson, and we are set out to make everyone look and feel great. That's pretty much what we're trying to do and feel unstoppable. And that's our goal. That's from, our goal. And from what I gathered from our last conversation, the, the goal of the brand essentially is to kind of create a hybrid for the athlete, the business person, and also people just in their day-to-day lives, correct? Yeah, we, we thought that brands were really good at, at selling stuff to people. But we had a uh, we felt like we had a higher calling as we really wanted to arm people, educate people, and engage folks to become better humans through intentional action. And that's a bunch of that's an abstraction. What I just said. So we really wanted to make it extremely concrete with people, both through example, through content, and how we how we like to brand, and giving hardcore how tos on career and health and wellness relationship, etc. That's that's how we wanted our brand to that's what we wanted our the purpose of our brand to be. All in the all in the spirit of what I described is helping people get momentum and action in their life with purpose in order to become the the best version of themselves, you know, to achieve their full potential. And we felt like a lot of brands were Good, pretty good storytellers or were, were, um, could create media. A lot of media brands could do that. And there were some good brands that were making stuff, which, you know, we think we make the best, best apparel and gear in the world, but no, no brand did both of those things. And with, with Mark's, um, with Mark, where Mark is in his life and where, where I am and where Lev is, we really felt like we had an opportunity to do something pretty different and change, at least change the trajectory of what the athletic athleisure category was doing, which seemed to be like very specific to us. And the, it's funny, a lot of categories do this. The more, the more they start to mature, the more fragmented they get. And all these little brands were so specific around one element. We really felt like there was an opportunity to come in and do something different and take the category to a, a better place. 
Now, Those are small goals. Those are small goals, Connor. But we really feel like big goals, goals, man. That's, that's why, why we're like here. That. Yeah, exactly. Go go big or go home. Absolutely. Now, just touching on what you said real quick, in terms of like you want your brand direction, you want to you want to help people capitalize on momentum. Can you kind of speak to how that's been beneficial in your career and like the idea of momentum? Because I recently in everything we do in Boston, I've noticed it's just crucial to growth momentum. Yeah. I mean, I take it from me. I mean, there've been so many moments in my life and career where I've, I've hit these periods of, of being feeling stuck and the looking back on it, the times when I've been able to get back into into places of, of creativity and, and really hopefulness um, and, and positivity were the really the catalyst to get in motion in a direction towards what the ultimate vision was. And I think for me personally, when I was stuck, I, it was always at times when I was looking for like the perfect path or the perfect step or in some cases, the the ones that had the most probability for success. So like risk aversion or not really putting myself out there um, to play bigger for for whatever reasons. Usually it's usually these obstacles are are self-made. They're man-made. They're they're we put them in place. They're always a lot bigger than we make them out to be a lot bigger than they are. And the key is. You got to just, whatever it is, you got to just take one step forward, you know, one step forward. Um, and this really started to resonate even for me, like over the past year, when these times when, you know, you'd wake up and there wasn't a lot of hope out there, frankly. And some days momentum meant, let me shave my face. I mean, honestly, like stupid, <laughs> it was that bad stupid and granular as that, you know, it was let not me, that bad. Yeah, let me let me just check off a couple of things to get myself in motion so that I don't I don't I don't shell up and am in completely static. And you know, that's that's um that's really a, a major part of what we're trying to convey to people out there is put yourself into a routine that allows you to be successful and to begin your journey towards whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Um, and you know, so many people out there, ourselves included, have have these times. If you look back, where we've been stuck for periods of time, and the key is don't be stuck for don't be stuck for long periods of time. You know, we all get stuck, but get out of that, get out of the rut of your own, you know, your own tire marks, and get going. Um, and I think now is like totally relevant. We're starting to get a little bit of hope and positivity that. This um, this period of of quarantine and coronavirus is is starting to look like it's it's going to be moving more in the rear view that we're gonna we're learning to live with it instead of shy away from it and you know there are a lot of people I think out there that need need some direction and a little push on how to get out. Well, dude, I was just out in Los Angeles and COVID seemed super optional, like. <laughs> Like probably 70% where you go. Right. I know. And, uh, well, it was kind of nice. It was, people were happy to be outside and it was like, damn, yeah. the world's going to be like this again. It's going to be sweet. 
I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Now, in terms of making lists as a CEO and an operator of a startup, is that how you kind of segment your day? Do you have a like a to-do list every day? Like, okay, these are the most necessary things to move the brand forward today. Is that kind of how you do your thing? Yeah, I don't, I'm not a big list person. Um, I, I live with the ultimate list taker. My wife is, she'll have 30 things on her list and she will not put her head down on the pillow till they're all done. I'm not the same way. Um, I, I kind of bucket it around what are the things we need to be doing right this second? And what are the things that we need to be doing that are create that will create long-term value. So it's, it's, there's really no in between. I don't have like a midterm um, approach, frankly, to what we're up to. Um, and early on, there were a lot of very tactical, concrete things just to set the business up. So yeah, there, there, a lot of those days were spent. Do we have a payroll system? Do we have insurance? You know, like those, those are very, typical list yeah. of stuff that you do on, on um, when you're trying to set anything up from scratch, you know, especially no scale brand. And that's overwhelming because there are a thousand things you have to do. As a matter of fact, I remember, I probably have it somewhere on my computer. That first month or two that we were getting set up, I had a list in Excel, which I'm sure there's some project manager out there and say, get off Excel, dude, get on something better than that. But um, on Excel and it was a hundred over a hundred things that we had to do over, you know, the first two months to get just to get going. And then I also have a, uh, uh, look at what are the three or four things that we need to be doing over the course of this year, um, to, to keep ourselves moving in the trajectory that we need to be doing. So, um, it's, what a, it's, a good balance. it's a good balance of like day-to-day -day survival and what are the things that are coming that ultimately will make us a, a, a successful, sustainable, um, sustainable business. So you kind of just really operate on the fly every day and just kind of hope you, you head towards those governing goals. It's not exactly like that. Um, this guy's a cowboy, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just kind of wake up and see which way the wind's blowing. It's not like that. I mean, we definitely have a business plan. But the the thing I think that was really different for me coming from an established larger company with with an annual an annual business plan and a three year plan is all of that is kind of silly in a startup because it we we operate on like thirteen week increments. So our, our long, long range planning where we spend time on might get us to the end of the year and beyond. So I, I try to keep at least the team focused on what are the things that we've got to be doing over these 13 weeks to hit our, our, our financial goals and our brand goals and our cash position and the things that are really important for a small startup versus the kind of the long-term the long-term planning that you might do in a bigger place where you would say, Oh, in year three, we're going to be, we're going to have a 30% compound annual growth rate. And these are the investments we're going to make in people and equipment and brand and all that. And it's kind of silly when you're in a startup because it's so dynamic. We could grow 30% a week or we have a bad week. We could go backwards, you know, 10 or 15%. So it's, it's all about just really like, sticking to the knitting on a day-to-day -day basis. So that, that requires 
a lot of coordination, a lot of communication, a ton of um, flexibility among not just me, but the team to look at are the things we're doing, the things that we did last week, are they working? Are they not working? Or is it undetermined? And then let's move forward because um, it's it's like it's incredibly dynamic. You know, it's really sensitive to uh, consumer movements that are happening, particularly in our in our with our business model where we're totally direct to consumer that it's it's so sensitive to traffic and conversion and things like that that um, that well, planning yeah. six eight months out is like how can you even do that? How do you even know what your traffic's going to be in eight months? I mean, it's it's silly. Can I ask you a quick question, man? So we're running a podcast, right? Yes. Were you kind of sick of the rigidity of working in a big company? Like, did you just kind of want that rush of working in a chaotic situation? Is that kind of why you made the shift? Well, that was part of it. I think I've always had the, I've always had the, the yearning to do something new and start something from scratch just on a, on a, on a basic level. And I also had um, a real keen pull to to do a brand that was really organic and of the people, if you will. Um, my if you my kind of uh, brand passion is and has been, and this was the way that I managed, particularly the last the last stop that I had when you know managing a big a big brand in a in a um, a sports performance category. For those is, listening, Harry used to work at Callaway Golf. At Callaway, yeah. So we were, you know, that was a totally different experience. We had 100% brand awareness in our category. Isn't that nice, you know? So in a big category, an established brand. And the thing that I loved about that ex whole experience was from an, from a, as a sales and marketing guy person is um, we were trying to make a uh, aspirational premium performance brand also incredibly accessible. So we were we were trying to marry up two things that usually work in conflict with one another or they don't really go together. Usually if you have a, a premium performance brand, most kind of traditional ways of managing that brand is to kind of move into a luxury um a luxury place, which by design is, has a, a high degree of exclusivity to it. And that's how you, that's how you resonate or you, you drive um, the aspirational part of it. So if you think of, you know, think of any luxury brand, Rolex or, you know, Porsche or Mercedes, they're, they're trying to show you that there's a level of, of uh, prestige that comes with that kind of brand that's not available to just the rank and file. And so I was always interested and have been interested in using media communications, um, tone and manner activations that, that squared up something being really um, aspirational, but also accessible at the same time. And that, that fueled our success at Callaway. So I, I've always had that that uh, I'm trying very hard not to use the word democratize because I don't want to punch myself in the face for using it. Well, but I've dude, always had. I, I don't know what that word. I don't know what that word means. So don't use it. Good. Don't don't punch me in the face. Um, so I, I had that in my head 
and as a passion when before we started this. And then the the other thing that's nice is having a full plane, wide open plane in front of you to go in any direction you want. And that, that that's scary too, because there's no, there are really no guardrails when you start something from from scratch. So you have to you have to really challenge all the things that you hope are true about yourself and about the people that you put on the team to have the the fortitude and the confidence and the the teamwork and the the culture that's going to survive the really moving through like the fog of the unknown when you're starting something new. So all of that appealed to me. Um, and you wanted to live on I, the wild side, man. That's what you wanted. A little <laughs> bit, a little bit, but you know what? I mean, as we've gotten into it, there's certainly things that you never expect when you get into it. And you don't, you really don't know what you've got until you're challenged, right? I mean, anybody can, anybody can, can smile and maintain their positivity and, and, and be creative when times are going great. It's, it's really what, what separates what's core and what's, you know, not so core when you're under a ton of stress and there's, there's a lot of unknown and you really have to rely on what's, what's uh, essentially true about yourself and what's essentially true about your capabilities as a leader. So I wasn't quite anticipating that was going to come in, you know, five months after we, we moved in and, and started the business with the Dude, corner. but your heart's still beating, man. Still here. Thank you for noticing. You're still selling still alive, clothes, still right? kicking. And, um, and it's been, it's been everything that we were hoping that it would be. It's just, you know, it's moved in a much different place. We've, we've definitely had to, um, we've definitely had to, to pivot off of a lot of what our early plans were. And that, that was something that we knew was probably going to happen, but we didn't know how that was going to manifest itself. But here we are, um, you know, one year into launching a business right in the middle of the, right in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, I think that we're really excited for, for where we are. And we're particularly excited that we're still around. So that's good. Absolutely. I mean, survival in the first year of business is usually the goal for most people, right? Yes. I mean, the, you know, the percentage as well as I do, so many, so many companies fail under the best of circumstances in their first year. And here we are a year, more than a year in having, you know, launched, like I said, and, and tried to get the business going during the really an event that none of us have ever, ever had to go through. Now, Harry, let me ask you this. When we were speaking on the phone, you, you talked vividly about COVID starts. Your primary investor pulls the funds out. That bank account is gone. You have to make the decision, yo, should I go back to Callaway and beg for my old job or should I keep this thing going? Correct? Yeah. Now, can you kind of talk about the decision where you dipped into your own account to keep this thing alive and keep that heart beating? Yeah, well, it all happened so quickly. If, you know, going going back to March of 2020 and... I don't think any of us really knew what the COVID and the pandemic would mean for America. 
we had heard starting really in like December from some of the folks that we knew overseas in our, uh, in our supply chain that this was really different from other, um, other things that impacted their businesses. And those kinds of things when you're talking about- <laughs> Look on your face. You must've been terrified when this started. Well, it's hard, to, it's hard to dimensionalize that. And it's hard to even fathom it because we had nothing to compare it to. So, you know, when we would talk to our folks overseas that were, you know, that were either in China, well, you know, whether they were selling components to us or, or part of our factory base that we're making, you know, a few of our products over there or the ones that were in Thailand that are adjacent or at least in, in Asia. And they've seen all kinds of things that have disrupted the supply chain. And you, you factor that in when you build out your plan that you're, you're always, you always have contingencies for whatever's going to pop up in your supply chain. You can move stuff around if you have to, or timing or dates or whatever. And you also, even in, even for us as a startup, we, we'd had built in some redundancy and overlap in case something happens, you're, you know, anywhere. And we had a large part of our supply base was here in the U S we were, we had a, a pretty we have a pretty large chunk of our of our products are made in America. And we've started to hear in like December, January, guys, this is like different. This is different. The the governments over here are in full-fledged panic mode. And um, you know, I just can't even I, I would I, if I, I were if I was on Jeopardy, I would not do well on Chinese geography question, but I would not of uh, if there were three of us on the panel, I wouldn't come in last. So I know enough to be dangerous. And I know like the Wuhan province is like a gigantic place. And when they were talking about, you know, oh, they, they shut the whole city and region down. Okay, so like us, us over here, when we heard that, we're like, okay, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that is. Was that like yeah, a village? Yeah, we, th yeah, we thought like a farmer's market was shut right, down. Right, exactly. Is that a, is, did they shut down a street? Like, what is that? And having been over there and knowing enough and talking to them was like, no, that's like saying they shut the entire eastern part of the United States down. Oh, you've been down, to like done. So we were like, hmm, that's that's a little different from what we've normally heard. And when you know, usually stuff happens. It could be anything, you know, a, a strike or, um, uh, I mean, look look at what just is in the news recently. A, a boat gets stuck in the Suez Canal, and that's gonna that's gonna screw up supply chains for a lot of companies for you know it got shut it, it got stuck for six days it's probably going to screw them up for for a month or six weeks or or depending on what was on that ship more than that so we're used to that kind of stuff but when they were saying yeah there this is gonna we're we don't even know if we're going to be allowed back at work for at least 60 days we knew that was that was weird but we have the u.s we have um we have enough to be able to overcome even pushing pushing out some of that kind of supply for six weeks. And then I think- What, the what, you, what you mean is you were manufacturing products in the US. Yeah, we had stuff coming from the, in the US and we were, okay, we'll just change the way we're gonna launch. Obviously that's gonna be affected. We're gonna push out our launch. We're, let's push it out a month. So instead of launching in May, we'll launch in early June. No big deal. It doesn't, that's not going to make a material effect on our business, particularly with 
at that point we were we weren't you know exactly investing a ton into anything so we we were able to to um constrain our cash for a month no problem i think the biggest the biggest thing that affected me when i knew uh oh this is this is a big deal is when they shut sports down like that first that second week of march yeah, do you remember that saying. yeah that's what you're saying and like yeah, when they shut ACC tournament down. got canceled we're out here in the west coast so like pac-12 tournament got canceled um there was a big golf tournament that same week they played one round and then they sent everyone home they're like we're done and having been in golf i talked to a lot of people that worked at the pj tour and they were telling me we don't know when we're going to be back that's what, because they were getting brief, you know, briefings from the government. Municipal was not getting briefings from the government. So you. they were, they knew this was a big deal. And so we were like, holy shit, this is, this is, this is significant. And schools started, our, our kids, high school and, and middle school got shut down. And we were just thinking at that time, okay, well, maybe we'll be out, out for a couple of weeks or a month. But who knows? Like, I don't think we were we certainly weren't thinking here we'd be a year later. But the the ramifications of that were the our we're our funding was um, through a, a really large family fund. We were the only startup that was in their entire portfolio. The rest of their business were ongoing operational yeah. businesses. So they had to they had to prioritize where their cash was going and you know, unfortunately the, the startup was not prioritized. So they, they had to pull our funding immediately. And so um, oh, that was, oh. that was like the coldest, the coldest of cold water showers that you can possibly imagine. And I remember the conversation with the, the you know, a really good guy um, and a really good friend who managed the, the fund. And he just was as, as, as blunt as it can be as we're, we're not going to be able to fund you. And, um, you know, at that time he said, we just, we won't know. We'll, we're not going to be able to fund you for the foreseeable future, but maybe we can come back in like 90 days and see where we are. And, and that, that, like, that, that would have been, dude, that. you're like, Oh my God. That. You know what that means. Oh, okay. So you're saying there's a chance. So, um, Mark and, and Steve Levinson and I, sat down we looked at the numbers we we came up with really a plan that would have us funding it ourselves at least through the launch period and through the year so that we could have a better idea of what it would take to get the business sustainable and we felt we felt like we had done the hard part we had we had gotten the thing set up we had designed and developed the products they were on their way um although affected by the supply chain and we we really our best play was to get this thing to market to launch it to it would obviously be different because we would have to be um our belts would have to be you know really tight like everyone else's would be and um and let's get it launched and so that was that's what we decided and it was uh you know, at that time, I was not anticipating literally having to, to invest my entire life savings and my wife's, you know, our family's life savings into municipal. 
but we felt like that was a really good bet. It's that was the that was the ultimate manifestation of what That's is one of our core values here at Municipal, which is always bet on yourself. And so we did in a in a massive way. Harry, and, let me tell you. So right now, I'm I've been producing a film in Boston. It's always been my goal with the podcast to make a big ass movie and put it in theaters all over the city. And so I'm in a position right now where I'm going to have to cut the check for VFX. How and about that? And it's scary as it's scary. Yeah. But let's just send it right, man. Why not? Yeah. Bet on yourself. Always bet on yourself. I mean, that that was really going back. It's, it's to a different challenge for you, though, because this is just my account. You have a family. Yeah. Well, it's it can't you know, it's not my decision. It's everyone's decision. And I think that's the that's the the big relationship advice that I can tell everybody is. <laughs> Make sure you marry you marry well, and I I sure did. You know, my wife, it's really close to it, and she's like, "Well, we're betting on ourselves, and there's no better there's what a better way to invest than one that you can directly control the outcome." So, we uh, we decided to do it, and also the other the other thing I think, just from our core values is is we had at that time thirteen people, who all of them were were mostly people that. I have worked with in the past that came over here as part of yeah, shout um, out to Rihanna part of the family. Yeah. Rihanna and AJ and Dave and David and you know, the whole Kim, the whole group um, were people that I had, I had worked with in the past and felt like a real obligation to uh, you know, that's, that's the obligation you have as a, as an owner that you never really have. If you're working for somebody else is you have a real obligation to the people that are a part of your team. And um, so we, we, uh, we figured out a may, way to make it happen that may launch that became June really became August. So all of that was three months and August was really September. Cause we didn't really have all of our, we really didn't have all of our products. And then the, what we thought would be the saving grace, Connor, which was we have this big piece of our product line is made in America. That became the most affected one of all because our factories that were making stuff for us in America were shut down almost three full months. Because of like a COVID, COVID. outbreak or something? Because of COVID, yeah. And so, so where's the other product out. coming from? It's Thailand and China, right? I, I missed the question. Say that again. Where's the other product coming from? It's China. Yeah, we have China, Thailand, um, U.S., some South America. So we're kind of all over the place. That was something that we knew would be important for. I mean, so glad we did that. We knew it would be important for a supply chain. Is we have to have some diversity in our supply chain in case something happens. This was when we first were setting the business up. We didn't know there was a coronavirus, but we knew stuff happens all the time. And anything that happens in the supply chain, if it's not that diverse, can knock you out. Can knock you out before you even get started. So we had we had set it set it up to be diverse out of the gate, and I'm really glad we did because um, the like I said, the U.S. part of that was the most affected of all. No, two things. One, your wife is what the kids would call a real one. <laughs> your wife's a real one and yeah she, she she really was i mean she's the most we talked about it she's a list person she's incredibly practical how long practical. have you guys been together 20 years now that's committed 20 years man. yeah so so you know that that's that's something i've really learned from her was 
And it, it really helped during particularly last year of this crisis of the crisis is every problem has a solution. And we're, we really looked at all the challenges that happened, even the stuff that was way outside of our control at a macro level that we couldn't even comprehend. But there was a micro solution that existed um, if, we, if we spent the time kind of looking at all the factors and all the variables and prioritize the uh, properly. And, you know, that was, in some ways that was, that was, it was hard emotionally, but in some ways it was, it's pretty, it was pretty easy to, to prioritize what the, what the important things were that we wanted to focus on when everything shut down a year ago in March. And, you know, number one for us was the health and safety of the employees. So that, that was number one, that's easy. You know, we're not going to do anything that jeopardizes anyone's health and safety that's an employee here. And that, and um, number two, which was 1A was we want to keep everyone employed. And that was, that was something that was frankly, uh, I would say not convenient because everybody that I talked to um, in yeah, my kind of mentor network, now these are people that run big companies or are on boards of large companies or run large divisions. They all said the same exact thing, which was, you don't know what the, the future is going to be. And you have, to, there are two things you need to do. You need to manage your cash and you need to protect your revenues. Well, we didn't have any revenues. So we had to protect our cash. And the thing they all said was, you have to lay people off. You have to lay people off all the way down to the only the people that are able that are required to keep your lights on and because two things number one your cash will require it because you don't know when you're going to launch you don't know when your revenues are going to come you don't know what the world's going to look like and you you can't be spending all that cash in that environment and number two those people are going to need the unemployment so you get them on the unemployment and then you'll figure it out when you know more about what the future is. And I think a lot of companies did that. You saw furloughs and layoffs and stuff all over the place. And um, like I said before, we decided not to do that. We decided, no, we're, we're going to stay with it. And probably that was a little easier having 14 people than maybe it is if you have 14,000. But um, but those were kind of the two things. So health and safety of our people, we want to keep them employed. And then the third thing that we decided was we have to pick a date to launch this brand because we need to, at some point, yeah, start yeah. to sell some things. So yeah, products don't do any, it's any good sitting in our warehouse. So we, that, that challenged our, that challenged how we were going to launch it. And it, we had to launch it in a much different way than any of us wanted to. You, you certainly wouldn't write a book on this is the perfect way to launch a product. As soon as it hits your warehouse, turn it around and sell it, particularly when you're launching a business. So we had planned, Connor, to launch um, our full municipal concept sport utility gear with 16 products. We ended up launching with six and with, with stuff kind of flowing in sporadically through the back half of the summer and into early fall. 
so that by the time October rolled around, we were really where we wanted to be in May. So we lost like, you know, six months of execution time. But as we said 20 minutes ago, we're still here. Two questions for you. One, so when this is new to me. So when you started Municipal, you wanted to have manufacturers in different countries specifically in case something domestically happened in each company, you had a backup. Is that the rationale? I had never heard of that. Like, why wouldn't your rationale be, we would just have seven different plants in the U S well, it's the U S is good at some things in the, in, in apparel and not great at others. The, the, some of the things that you lose when you're in, in America is it's expensive, right? Well, it is expensive. And the reason is, is because the supply base is small and the capabilities that exist in the U.S. as a high performance um, creators of apparel and accessories, most of those capabilities left the country 40 or 50 years ago. So China, that industry left, you know, there's just, there's not, they just don't have the capability. So, um, there are some things that you can do here, but other things are much better. Other other countries and regions of the world are, are much better at it. And because of technology um, and it's, yeah, it's it's to the consumer, um, you know, the cost to the consumer is a lot, a lot lower, even with um, even with some of the tariffs and, and transportation in other parts of the world. It's just the apparel part of, of in the US is, is not, uh, is not competitive. Okay, I frankly. hear you. But we, for us, we we loved we loved having a, a segment or a chunk of our products made here in the U.S. We really loved that, and um, for a lot of reasons, we there were some here right on the West Coast that were near us that um, that we knew about that we felt like we wanted to we wanted to have relationships with and. So that was always a piece of what we were going to do, but we knew for what to be able to grow and to to be positioned the way that we wanted to position that we needed to be more diverse. Harry, let me ask you another question, man. One, where are you from? I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. No way. Are you yep. are you, are you like an Atlanta sports fan? Don't even start with me, Connor, because I know you're in you're in Boston, and I know what's coming up since it was uh, March twenty eighth. Couple days I was going to say that I got the 328. I got the 328 memes flowing. Yes, you know, I've, I'm, I've I'm had a, a sad. I'm a sad Atlanta sports fan. I've had a couple of the young men who obliterated the Falcons on this podcast. And uh, yeah, man, that was a tough look for you guys, man. For real, oh, I was at that game, so don't even oh! start. Don't even start. Which actually, I'm. I I went with my wife. It was the very first year. My wife's not from Atlanta, so it was the very first year that after you know however long we were together 16 17 years at that point she that she decided to be a falcons fan so of course that first year she's thinking hey this is great why, why are you so miserable all the time this has been fun and so we, we end up going to the game of course we went to the game why why wouldn't we we got to go to the game we got to spend all that money to go to the game and i'm glad that i did actually cuz i'm just thinking how would i've reacted at home watching this at least at the game there was you know at least i have a story to tell but at home man so yeah i'm still licking my wounds over that 
as all Atlanta fans are, we're, we're just, you know, it's for me, it's 50 years of being beaten down by this stuff, same stuff. So I wasn't surprised. I thought, or, or I could be, I'm not huge into the MLB. I thought the Braves had a pretty successful season recently, didn't they? Or Yeah. Well, it's classic, it's classic uh, Atlanta sports for you. So the, the only major sport title that Atlanta has won and you know, if you count MLS, you could say they've won two because they won the MLS cha- the MLS Cup a couple years ago. Come on, man. Come I'll on. leave that to yeah, uh, others on. to decide. That's amazing. And I'm a soccer fan, so I'll leave that to other people to decide. But it was 95, the Braves won the World Series. And the last few years, they've had a really good team, a really good young team. And then in the fall, they were up 3-1, three games to one over the Dodgers. And somehow they didn't, they didn't win that series. So that's kind of, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. You guys are a bunch of losers, but man. I just told you that. You learn so much more through adversity and hard times. Than adversity you is awesome if you win so events. If that being true, we're the most educated fans there can be because we've learned so much over the years. Nah, man. That's got to be the Jets fans. <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. Um, no. they've, won a, they've won a Super Bowl, not in anyone's lifetime, but at least they won, they won it in, when, 69? Dude. Dogs never won a Super Bowl. Were, Were you even alive in '69, man? Like, come on, man. I was not alive in '69. That's what I'm saying. Most people weren't, but at least they can say the franchise has won one. Now, question for you, dude. How much? So, I am self-admittedly an incredible, incredible, incredible admirer of Mark Wahlberg's career. Yeah, because he's been able to both starn and produce his own projects and then he also has a successful business career now how much of your brand has been leveraged off his instagram alone because i think that's probably where i got hip to municipal in the first place yeah somewhat but we also want we were also all aligned at the beginning that we didn't want this to just and mark himself he didn't want this to just be viewed as a celebrity brand or he he is not a dilettante so he he didn't want people to just look at what does that mean <laughs> he didn't want people to think he was just dabbling in uh in creating an apparel brand or doing this for fun or doing doing this as a pastime or a hobby his his business passions are are deep so when he gets involved in something he wants to do it in the right way he wants to do it in a way that's going to be enduring and sustainable and lasting and so we we definitely have have relied on him heavily to be our biggest megaphone but we haven't built the brand thinking that we wanted to take shortcuts by virtue of having him as one of our co-founders and and uh, and owners and involved that we absolutely wanted to take the long view of this so and also more about the values that Mark stands for, I think is what you were talking about that probably resonate with you, Connor, a lot more than just the image of him or what people see of him as some avatar versus what's core to him. And that's what we really wanted for Municipal was all about the things that are true and core to his success and the way he operates his life. Number one being completely self-made person, a completely self-made guy. He's the youngest of nine, grew up in Boston. No one would have bet on him. No one would have bet on him. 
that's not to say he hasn't had help along the way, whether it's his brother Donnie that's kind of gave him gave him a push into music or or certainly as he as he crossed over from music and hip hop into acting and you know more broad entertainment, the people that obviously you have to have a great team around you and to celebrate that. And but but more so than that, having the 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 foundation and the the core of the core belief self belief and hustle and character and having that that feeling of positivity and uh, and being unstoppable those are all municipal values by the way as well that lead to whatever the the again the motion and the momentum to to reach a vision and he wanted to really pass that along to folks um and and so did i and so did so did lev and so does the team here and you know we always say sitting around here like there's no better person than mark to be the 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 biggest megaphone for us but yeah i think if you see what our brand's up to um yeah i was going to social say, like, but it's it's more it's more than just mark it's we're trying to build a whole community of folks that are are um that are believing in these same things yeah i was gonna say like you even go on your website like it's not even on the front page of the website yeah you wouldn't even you really wouldn't know right in front of your face that that mark is one of the one of the owners because we really we're more we want to build a community not just you know a mark a mark fan page i hear you man i think you're doing a great job Again, we're still here, Connor. We're still doing it. We're still doing it. Yeah, we're we're trying to live. We're trying to live the values that we t- are telling people are the important things to to live a, a substantive life and to to um, again to reach whatever that whatever that version of success is that people have out there. Whether it's be a better husband, better father, better wife, better mother, better at work, better in your relationships, and obviously. Of course, with Mark, we believe that it starts with being active and having a healthy life. And you, you can do you all that. And still look right awesome. What's that? How's your fitness right now? My, I've, I've done three things, I think, that have armed me to get through this quarantine. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Gee, it ripped. Number one, I've worked a lot. But that's just because I've had to. Well, number you're still company, man. Like, come on. Number two, yes, I'm. I've, I've, uh, I've definitely have a, a pretty rigorous fitness routine workout. Let me hear it. I would love to hear it. I'll tell you. And then number three is I've, I've done my best to eat my way through the quarantine too. So all of the, uh, all of the working out has been required because I've been eating at least early on everything in sight. So I, I, I work out. I'm one of those weird people that I actually will work out seven days a week. So I don't take any off days. Yeah. So, but I'm going to say that the reason I do that is not because I'm a freak. If you saw me, I don't, I don't look like Mark, obviously is it, it is the only way that I've found that really regulates my brain chemistry. My boy. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm not, I'm not setting any cardio records when I'm, when I'm on my cardio days, but I do it because if I don't do it, I really can feel the profound effects 
on my positivity and my moods when I don't. So absolutely. So that's, that's the reason. So it's not, um, but I'm, I'll do one of the nice things about having, uh, in the building I'm in is we have a gym that's connected right to the building. It's basically been my private gym because nobody, nobody comes in every day anymore. So I'm in there three days a week and then I'm doing cardio four days a week. What is your cardio constitute of? I do three things. I do, I run. So, and the reason I like to run, it's the only cardio I do that I truly feel like every single time gives me an endorphin release. Absolutely. And Harry, let me cut you off real quick. For the hyperactive mind, it's the closest thing you can get to meditation, literally. Yeah, I mean, can I get an amen? Because I'm with you. Um, and, you know, I, and my my happy zone is like from minute 20 to 45. Like it, I'm miserable to minute 20. From 20 to 45, I'm in my happy zone. And that's, you, you know, it's, again, it's the only thing that, that releases uh, endorphins for me is that. And then um, I do, we have an elliptical that at our house, which we bought like 10 years ago, which I use also. And I'll do that on days when I don't feel like running, if my body's a little tired or a little sore. And then we have a Peloton, which I am on not as much as my wife. I'm on that maybe once every two or three weeks. And that's the same thing if I'm bored with the elliptical. Cause let me tell you, there's no more boring cardio exercise than the elliptical. Do you believe that or no? Is there no, one I more? Dis- I disagree. There's that machine that you can hold that you just like going this, you know what I'm talking about? Climber? Yeah, that thing's wild. Does anyone do that though for like 30 minutes? I'd like to, that's that's hardcore. I saw an 86 year old um, woman whipping it today. So I'd like to run. So if if most mostly I'm running, 85% of the time I'm running. What are you doing for distance on your runs? I don't really do distance, but I I meaning I don't really keep track. It's more time, but I'll do five miles in 45 minutes. So I'm not again, I'm not setting any land speed records. I'm doing have you, nine, have you ever tried to push your distance a little bit? Well, I, for me, it kind of works in staircases. So my next move would be to do like an hour on top of 45. Um, and I'd love to, I would love to get to a place where I could consistently do six, seven miles four times a week. But that's even just saying it feels daunting to me. So I'm usually like five, five miles. Harry, let me tell you something. There is an incredible, you're in an incredible spot when it comes to cardiovascular endurance, because I started running last June in quarantine and you're at a spot where you can consistently push your distance. And what I recommend you do is one day, just go out for a run and just say, okay, I'm just going to push past that five mile and I'm going to try to go for about eight. Just keep your leg, just keep your legs moving. I swear to God. Really? Yep. And you'll get it. Just mentally lock in. I'm just going to keep my legs moving. You'll get to eight miles and you're going to have one of the most incredible feelings ever. You're going to be like, wow, I have placed this limit on myself and now I'm at eight miles. Shit. I want to go for 10 next. I swear to God, it's addicting. Yeah, no, I I totally believe that it's, it's a mental barrier more, much more than the physical. Cause I, I don't after now I've been running enough where I don't, I'm not sore the next day. I'm not, you know, my legs are still pretty fresh the next day. So it's definitely more mental than physical. You got to go for a big one. All right. Next time we talk, I'll, I'll have given that a try. Now, now do you have Strava, the app? No, I'm writing that down though. Strava is a great running app. You'll love it. Okay. Just like okay. it sounds. 
S-T-R-A-V-A? Exactly. Okay. All right, man. Well, hey, dude, I don't want to hold you too long. I had an awesome time. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me on. Now. Appreciate it. Oh, Lexi, Lexi, let me let, get your question off. Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to know why should women care about the brand? Well, interestingly, Lexi, 20% of our customers have been women. So we have, we have elements of our line that are definitely unisex, whether they're hoodies or sweatpants or headwear. And the, so those are, I think, people that are buying for themselves. The other part, I think, is, um, is that they're buying for the men in their lives because they know that our stuff makes, makes any guy look and feel great. So it's been a great gift for the women. And, and eventually, towards the end of this year, we will have a women's segment that's designed specifically for women. Nice. A lot of women out there, like the guys in our life look like slobs. They, when, they, when they dress comfortable, they look, they look horrible. Or when they try to dress up, they don't, they're not comfortable. So we we definitely um, satisfy both of those things. You look and feel great, and you you don't look like a slob. Harry, I thought you made an impeccable pitch for your brand today. Did I? I thought you did great. So we can do it again if you want. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. When next Let's time roll you it back, for sure. And um, thanks for having me, and thanks for thinking of us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, and thank you for, to Rihanna for setting it up. But we end our show with two bits. Are you Let's ready? Hear it. Let's go. Number one, as I had said. I'm making a huge movie in Boston right now. Huge. Mm -hmm. It's actually not huge. It's about half the size of a real movie. It's about 44 minutes. BFX. But all I ask is when I finish this movie and I send it to you, you sit back with your wife and you just enjoy it for 44 minutes, man. I will do it. Please. Of do. And if you like it, send it to Mark. Be like, hey, look There's no this. better time to be making content than right now. Everybody needs new stuff to watch. Not in Boston. It's absolutely freezing here. It's incredibly hard to produce stuff here. I don't know how they do it. Anyway, man, if you enjoy it, yeah, I'll send share. It I'll to, share it. Send I'll it to that guy. Along. Send it to that guy, Lev, too. Say, look I will. God, look the guys. God, and that guy, Mark. Yeah, I I absolutely. Thank you, man. Now, the second bit is this: how we start and end the show. You say hi. I'm only gonna say it once, Harry. Okay. You say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Wait, I say, hi, <laughs> my own name. This is the golden hour. Then I say, hi, my own name. That was the golden hour? I don't know, man. I can only tell you once. Just give it a okay, try, this man. Is like a, this is like a weird drinking game. It's weird that I would say my own name, though, isn't it? That's why it's a drinking game. Hi, Harry Arnett. This is the golden hour. Hi, Harry Arnett. That was the golden hour. Did I do that right, or am I drinking? Terribly executed. Oh, that's what I thought. I'm we'll do one more time. Hi. Okay, it again. Hi. I'm blank. Your name. And yep. this is my golden hour. Oh, my golden hour. Directly Shit. after. <laughs> no break. Hi. I'm blank. And that 
was my golden hour. So it's this is, and it. that was. Okay. Hi, I'm Harry Arnett. This is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Harry Arnett. That was my golden hour. Ain't nothing Nailed to it, it but to do it, man. Killed it. Nailed it. Nailed hey, it. You, you're awesome, man. Thank you very much. And um, Thanks, Connor. I'm Appreciate get, you having me. I'm going to get your office info. I'm going to send you guys some new t-shirts. Awesome. Love it. Thank Hope you. Perfect. All right, man. Thank Thanks you so again. much. Thanks, Lexi. Bye, guys. See you.